0: yeah this is a pretty crazy story to me at one time the passenger pigeon was the most abundant bird on the planet there were billions of them and they ranged all around various parts of north america and they were essentially overhunted, and then their population collapsed i believe the last Passenger pigeon. There's no dispute about this one. Was uh, died in a zoo in 1914. So it's it's incredible to me that the most you know abundant bird species out there could go from flocks of billions all the way to zero in a pretty short amount of time.
1: Support the show and check out all things unexplained at BigfootUFO.com.
2: We know now that in the early years of the 20th century, this world was being watched closely by intelligences
1: greater than man's. Did the CIA write wind of change by the scorpions?
2: (laughs) (laughs) As humans busied themselves about the various concerns, they were scrutinized Mm -hmm. and studied. Dr. Loeb, what percentage Mm -hmm. chance do you give it that you have indeed uncovered extraterrestrial or non-human technology? With infinite complacence, people went about their affairs, mm-hmm. yet across an immense ethereal gulf, intellects vast and unsympathetic through their plans against us.
1: Prior to your abduction, did you believe in UFOs or any sort of alien life form? Mm-hmm.
2: All things unexplained.
1: So, some of that I think Sir will say for closed session. Mm-hmm.
2: Hello everybody. Welcome to All Things Unexplained. I am CJ Derringer, joined by my co-host, Dr. Mounts. We've got Noah Stricker on the show.
1: So look next, we've got. Oh, here's some. Are these baby? Oh, oh, these must be juveniles, right?
0: Yeah, you got it. Those are baby emperor penguins. Oh. Emperors are the biggest penguins. Mm. If you've ever seen the movie Happy Feet, yes, this is Mumble yeah. from Happy Feet, basically. They are super cute. I think they are the cutest baby penguins because they have that black and white pattern on their Mm -hmm. head. But they're really hard to see. You have to go usually at the very beginning of the Antarctic summer in November before the sea ice is really broken up because they nest during the winter, which is of course opposite from the northern hemisphere winter. And then by the time we get there in November, they already have these big chicks. And then as the ice breaks up in December, then the chicks... ready to go off on their own then and even to get to the places where emperor penguins nest you usually have to have an icebreaker ship to get there which is what i was on when i took this photo i was on a russian icebreaker with helicopters on it just to access this spot or you can fly in in a couple of places and land with a plane on skis on the sea ice which i'll be doing again in november this coming season i can't wait to go see the emperor penguins again they are
2: just super cute exciting
1: and it really does look just like straight out of the movie, the, the um, what is it called again?
0: Happy oh, Happy Feet. Happy Feet. Feet. Yeah, I gotta yeah. say it was, and they're just uh, dancing all around. pretty accurately done. I mean, aside from maybe the singing and the dancing, which they don't <laughs> necessarily do. <laughs> yeah. All of the species that were in that movie were depicted really accurately and the backgrounds were actually real places. They were portraying the different animals in their, in their real habitats, doing things that they would normally be doing more or less and so i think it was it was really well done
2: wasn't there also a documentary about emperor penguins that was narrated by morgan freeman do i have that right
0: yes march of the yeah. penguins March of- was, yes. uh, that, was that was fantastic amazing yeah it's still well worth watching i think it was just about the highest grossing documentary of all time at least when it was done
2: yeah it was great
1: and is this three emperor penguins we're looking at here no two adults and a
0: Yep, you got it. That's an emperor penguin family. So mom and dad and their one chick.
1: Oh, very cool. And how tall is an adult emperor penguin? They're pretty tall, aren't they?
0: They're pretty tall, yeah. They're a little over four feet tall. So they come up to my, just about the middle of my chest. And they can weigh like 50 to almost 100 pounds.
2: How do they feel about humans when you guys are there studying them? Are they open to you or apprehensive?
0: Oh, they are super curious emperor penguins don't have predators on land like most penguins don't they just have never evolved to be scared of anything outside of the ocean so when they're on the ice near their colony they see you and they're like oh who are you like they come up to you and they stand right next to you and they'll go to sleep right at your feet and they'll even like Preen the side of your pants and untie your shoelaces and <laughs> they're just uh, oh, very wow. entertained by having guests in their colony.
1: It's super cool. Speaking because I
2: guests. Sorry, did I see no, on your ahead. website that you were taking people on expeditions last year to go see penguins or did I misread that?
0: Yeah, that's right. And I'll be doing that again this coming Antarctic season which starts in November. It's uh by by plane and by ship.
1: Can anybody go?
2: I know you. you could just sign up and pay to go, or how do how do you get qualified for that? Yeah, these are
0: uh, either a small ship type of expedition that leaves from a little city called Ushuaia in southern Argentina, and then goes south to Antarctica. That's a really good way to do it if you want to visit Antarctica. That's how most people go. If you want to see emperor penguins, you probably need to take a more specialized expedition because, as, as I said, they're kind of on remote parts of Antarctica, so you don't usually see them on the ship-based trips unless you have an icebreaker. So for the camp that I'll be going to in November, we actually fly a chartered 757 jet from southern Chile across the Drake Passage and land on a glacier in the interior of Antarctica and then transfer to a small ski plane, a twin otter with skis, for another four hours across an ice shelf and then land on the frozen surface of the Weddell Sea very far south and they set up some mountaineering tents that you sleep in on the ice with the ocean below you, and penguins just walking around in camp all the time. It's kind of weird to be sleeping in your sleeping bag at night when it's 20 below zero, but you're all cozy in your tent, and all you can hear outside is (laughs) all these penguin footsteps as they wander around your camp.
2: (laughs) Oh, that's so fun.
1: And it's so interesting you you said that about how they have no predators on land, because I think it would be a little intimidating coming up and getting close to such a big wild animal you know that would be a little a little frightening at first I think but Noah maybe you could clear up some potential misconceptions for our listeners real quick just with these things here north pole south pole penguins polar bears
0: Mm, yeah penguins south polar bears north and not vice versa so the two shall never meet
2: Okay.
1: Amazing, because I really feel like a lot of people think polar bears are in the South Pole too, and that penguins are also in the North Pole.
0: Yeah, no, it would be, if you tried to introduce polar bears to Antarctica, because, you know, they're sort of threatened by climate change, people are sometimes like, well, we should put them in Antarctica, where there's a lot more snow and ice, and they'll be really happy. Either they wouldn't know what to do, and they would just starve, or probably more likely. They would just annihilate all the penguins because the penguins don't have any reflex for being scared of predators on shore. So I I don't think it would go that well.
1: (laughs) And is there a main predator in the water? Is it killer whales?
0: Yeah, killer whales will go after a penguin every now and then. Although for for a killer whale, a penguin is pretty small. So they tend to specialize more on other prey in Antarctica. There's also a type of seal in Antarctica Mm -hmm. called a leopard seal and that's the main predator of penguins in the ocean. Leopard seals are maybe oh I don't know they're like six eight ten feet long and super strong and amazing swimmers and they'll sit just slightly submerged off the beach near penguin colonies and try to grab them as they go into the water. Once they're out in the open water and swimming around, penguins are amazing swimmers. No seal is really a match for them on the, on the wing underwater, but it's it's more of an ambush. And then when the seal grabs a penguin, they just try to thrash it until they turn it inside out.
2: Hmm. I recall seeing that on that documentary.
1: And this is a super cool picture. It almost reminds me of Death Valley of somewhere that you're at, Noah.
0: Yeah, this is actually in Oregon. This is called the Alverd Desert and it's in Southeast Oregon. It's a sort of an extension of the Basin and Range province of Nevada that juts up into Southeast Oregon. And you have alkali flats. It's almost like the Mm -hmm. salt flats that people race on. In fact, people do race out there every now and then in Eastern Oregon as well. However, in the background, just on the left side of the photo, That's where the outlet of a hot springs is. That's quite popular. And for me, the draw of the hot spring is that it then spills its outflow onto the playa and it is perfect shorebird habitat. So if you go out there during fall migration in mid to late August, you can see shorebirds as they're migrating from the Arctic all the way down to central and South America. And they make a stop there so that they can load up on kelp flies, (laughs) brine flies that are out there on the, on the playa. And so I, it's a fun birding spot. It's not where you would normally think of going to look for birds.
1: Very cool. We're talking to birding expert Noah Stricker, and
0: <laughs> this is an
1: amazing picture. It, I have to describe it as best I can. We're looking at a penguin of unknown age, and he has this pattern around his face. It's like a a circular mask, black line, and it just I don't know. It makes it it makes his face. Makes him look like he's smiling or something. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> yeah, this is a, called a chin strap penguin. Chin strap, there you reasons. go. <laughs> and I think it looks like they're wearing a little helmet, like they're ready for yes. action.
1: <laughs> That's it, like he's ready to go march into battle.
0: Like one of those yeah, motorcycle well, helmets, you know? And it kind Just of fits like, their personality, actually. <laughs> chin straps are super aggressive and cantankerous penguins oh. and... For my master's degree, I was doing field work with them, so I had to walk through their colonies to get you know, details on their nesting habits. And they will beat you up. They're only Ooh. like two and a half feet tall, but their flippers are so strong. Penguin wings <laughs> are called flippers because <laughs> they use them to swim. And they'll just whack you in the shin. And even no. through insulated boots and ski pants and everything, they can mm. bruise you up. Those are, those are hardcore little penguins.
1: <laughs> wow, That's hysterical close-up of a chin strap penguin very cool and this is a cool picture a penguin of some sort in silhouette here it looks like sunset
0: yep that's another chin strap that's on the shoreline of an a different island off antarctica called elephant island which is where uh shackleton's men were marooned for a few months in 1915 is probably why that island is famous but uh, it has quite a few thousand nesting chinstrap penguins on it and so that was a scenic one at sunset.
1: I may be wrong, but was Shackleton the one that flew down there?
0: Well Shackleton had this idea. First of all, he wanted to be the first person to make it to the South Pole, but then these other explorers made it there first, Amundsen and Scott. So in 1915, Shackleton put together an expedition that said, well, okay, but no one has ever actually walked all the way across the continent of Antarctica yet, from one side to the other via the South Pole. So that's what he set out to do. But it was a massive failure because they never even made it to Antarctica. Their ship got stuck in the sea ice on the way and sank. And then his whole story was of their men trying to extricate themselves from floating around on pack ice over the next few months and it's actually a pretty gripping tale there's a book called endurance that tells the whole long saga it's one of the greatest survival stories of all time
1: oh cool and i would be remiss you know if i didn't ask noah have all the times you've been to antarctica i feel like you're the best person to answer this question have you ever seen evidence of underground alien bases in antarctica
0: I love the questions you ask. (laughs) These are not the questions I normally get about Antarctica and uh, things I have not necessarily considered in depth. So I have not personally seen evidence of underground bunkers underneath the ice, although given the extent and volume of the Antarctic ice sheet, uh, there's room for whole civilizations down there. Who knows? Oh,
2: there you (laughs) go. go. We'll (laughs) take that as a possibility. We're going to ask that you look next time. Just because, yeah, change yeah, your focus slightly.
1: We we get asked to do shows on Antarctica, but but not about penguins. <laughs> <laughs> we get asked to do it because okay, rumor has it, this this um, military guy he flew an expedition down there, found a giant cave, goes underground, went in there. He actually it was big enough for him to fly his plane into. Maybe there were alien bases under there. So there's a lot of stuff happening in Antarctica in terms of the paranormal world. So we just had to find out for sure you've been there so many times. So just keep that in mind the next time. <laughs> and here's one of my favorite pictures. This yeah, is this just is an amazing picture. It's Noah Stricker, full winter gear here, like, you know, the hikers at Tunguska. But And you
2: still don't look warm enough. Mm, yeah,
0: that was oh, a no. chilly
1: day. It looks it like was, full uh, blizzard conditions, and he's surrounded windy. by hundreds, thousands of penguins.
0: This is a place called Brown Bluff on the eastern side of the Antarctic Peninsula, and it's one of the biggest Adelie penguin colonies. So Adelies, you can just see in the background, they're entirely black and white. They don't have any other yellow or orange color on them. And they are, I would say, probably the most charismatic penguins because, like I was talking about the emperors that will come up to you and sort of hang out with you, the Adelies, their reaction... Is, to us, is what I would think. My reaction would be if I did see an alien suddenly land on the ice <laughs> in Antarctica. They look at us like, "Who are you? What do you? Where did you come from?" Like they have no frame of reference because we just essentially drop in from outer space as far as they're concerned, and so they seem super excited to see us and they run up and they like run around us and check us out from every angle and just follow (laughs) you around for hours at a time and just want to like totally soak up the experience of being with this extraterrestrial that suddenly landed in the middle of their nesting colony.
2: That's awesome. We appreciate that analogy too.
1: Absolutely. Let's hope when (laughs) real aliens land, they're just as kind and benevolent as Noah is. (laughs)
0: Yes. <laughs> yeah, I would
2: hope so. <laughs> That's great. So Noah, you have been so many places. I mean, I am blown away by your knowledge of, of birds and locations. It seems like everything we've asked you, you've had an answer to, which is incredible. Is there anywhere that you haven't been yet that you're wanting to go and, and why?
0: Oh, for sure. I think the the thing with traveling in general is the more places you go the more places you then start to realize are out there that you haven't visited and you hear about and you want to go to so oh i've got a whole list of countries and habitats and places i'd love to go see when i did my big year i saw 6000 of the world's birds in one year which was pretty monumental and people were like wow that's great you've done a lifetime of birding and i'm like well no actually i only did one year and i still <laughs> have the rest of my <laughs> lifetime left to go fill in the gaps because somehow I happened to miss 4,000 birds along the way. Yes. And so now I can go start tracking them down. I think right now my top places that I have not personally been that I would love to visit would be Guyana in Northeast South America it is pretty wild and remote and just covered with rainforest still. And there's some cool birds there that I haven't seen. In Southern Africa, I'd love to go to Namibia. I've heard amazing things about the desert in Namibia. There's about 20 endemic species of birds, too, that I could find there. I'd love to go to uh, Mongolia. I just have always had this probably romanticized vision of the Mongolian steppe. I love desolate, wide-open kinds of places, and... um, and I would also li- really like to get to some of the other sub-Antarctic islands that I haven't visited yet, particularly around New Zealand, south of New Zealand, mm-hmm. because there are still five penguins that I haven't found yet that uh-huh. all live over on that side of the world. And so someday I've got to get to those remote islands and see them.
2: Other than those five species of penguins, is there any bird that has just evaded you <laughs> that you've tried to find over the years and you have yet to find?
0: Well, birders talk about having a nemesis bird, Uh. which is just what you said. A bird that you've looked for, that you've put some effort into, that you should have seen, but you've just never managed to connect with. I think in the Arctic, my nemesis bird is a type of gull, a small species of gull called a Ross's gull, which is actually super cute. It's got this pink color on its chest and a little line around its throat, kind of like the chinstrap penguin. They live in pack ice in the Arctic. They're super nomadic. I've just never seen one. So one of these days, maybe I'll catch up with the Ross's goal. But uh, here in Oregon, for many years, I had a nemesis bird, which a lot of people have laughed at. On the West Coast, the common grackle is a rare species, which in most of the rest of the U.S., they're like common trash birds, like they're all over your backyard. But here in Oregon, we don't really get common grackles. And so when someone reported one near my house, I ran out to try to find it (laughs) and I parked my car and I sprinted into this marsh where they'd reported this common grackle and I couldn't find it. I got back to my car that afternoon. My window had been smashed and like all my tennis gear and other stuff that I had in my car had been stolen which I never got back. So I was kind of invested in this grackle at that point. And then I got back home and the person who had reported it on the rare bird alert had then posted a photo and it was of a very common bird called a brewer's blackbird so it wasn't (laughs) even a common grackle and then over the next few years I chased several more common grackles and didn't have my car broken into but didn't see them either and so finally uh two years ago common grackle showed up on a golf course in Sun River in central Oregon in the dead of winter and i drove over there for, it was like a three hour drive, one way to go oh walk gosh. around a golf course in December and try to see a bird that's dirt common everywhere except Oregon. And finally <laughs> I saw my common grapple. So, <laughs> nemesis no more.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that dedication. I'm glad that you got to see that bird. That's awesome. And I watched your Ted talk, I, maybe you've given more than one, so I'll say I watched one of your TED Talks and I absolutely loved how you opened it. You showed this picture where, of course, all of us looked at the polar bears, right? And you said something along the lines of, it's not common that anybody gets to see this type of you know, rare species and we're all thinking polar bear, but you were talking about a bird <laughs> that was in the picture by the polar bear. What type of bird was that that you caught in that picture?
0: Yeah, that was a type of Arctic gull as well, called an ivory gull. Actually, the best way to find an ivory gull is to find a polar bear with a seal kill on the sea ice because they usually come in to scavenge the scraps. But uh, Mm -hmm. yeah, spectacular photo of a mama polar bear and two cubs. And I was super excited about the two little ivory gulls down in the corner.
2: (laughs) Yeah, well, I highly recommend that TED Talk for anybody that's wanting to get more of Noah Stricker. And also, he has a new book out called Birding Basics for anybody that's looking to learn a little bit more about how to get started in in the birding world. For those that are interested in bird watching or learning more about birds, you know, you've done this your whole life. You grew up wanting to do this. Is this something that people can make a career out of?
0: That maybe has been the greatest surprise of all to me is that you can make a living watching birds. And for me, it's not really even a career. It's just something I love to do, but I now get paid for it, which is amazing. Yeah, you can go into birding from all kinds of angles. You can go into conservation, you can become a writer, you can study birds scientifically at a university. You can lead tours, bird watching tours are getting super popular and people do that full time now. So it's pretty cool to me that that many people are interested in birds. And I have to say one of the greatest benefits of the whole pandemic and two years of shutdowns that we all went through is that birding suddenly got even more popular because people were like, well, the one thing that isn't shut down is nature and they went outside and started looking at birds. And so there's been this huge surge of interest over the past couple of years. And a whole new crap of birders. So I'm pretty happy about that.
1: Guilty as charged.
2: <laughs> yeah, you, you do like to send me pictures of birds and things, which is great. Do you have an Instagram account or Twitter or something that people could follow some of the birds that you have seen that they can sort of scroll through your travels? And...
0: Oh, yeah, sure. Probably Instagram is the best. It's just my name at Noah Stricker.
2: OK, you mentioned um, conservation. And Tim, that was something that you wanted to chat about real quick as well, yeah?
1: Yeah, no, if you don't mind, tell us what role does conservation play in your work with birds?
0: Well, I think conservation is such a broad area and and all parts of it are important. When people think about conservation, they think about someone preserving land or doing a captive breeding program to bring back a species or something like that. But it's also getting people interested because you can't conserve things unless you even know that they exist and i think that probably is my biggest role is being out there and just getting people psyched up about birds and and then once you know more about it then you start to filter into different holes and support conservation projects for for my you know on a local level for my big year i did a offset program so all my carbon was offset for my travel that year and When I came back home, I planted a thousand trees on this old overgrown pasture at our family property. And so I hope in my own ways, I've been able to um, offset my individual impact. But on a broader scale, yeah, the best thing I can, the best advice I can give anyone who's interested in bird conservation is first and foremost, just go out there and go birding and everything else will follow from there.
1: Right, that makes sense. And speaking of conservation, one segment we like to do with a lot of our guests is segment on hot takes and we would love it if you would give us your hot take on some of the extinct species of birds that we find really fascinating and i think that is the perfect tie-in to conservation because obviously some of these extinct species really are a story of lack of conservation if you're up for that noah let's take a look Oh, yeah. I have a personal connection to this one because I'm from the deep south. I grew up in Mississippi and I would spend some time in Memphis. And as you, if you cross the Mississippi River there and you head into Arkansas, at one time there was a billboard that said, Welcome to Arkansas, home of the ivory billed woodpecker. And I thought, what is this ivory billed woodpecker? It looks pretty cool. But I didn't realize the ivory billed woodpecker is supposedly extinct, but there are potential sightings of this woodpecker. What's your thoughts on the ivory-billed woodpecker?
0: Well, the ivory-billed got super famous in the early 2000s because it was supposedly extinct, hadn't been seen probably in 50 years. And then the Cornell Lab of Ornithology made this big announcement that they had rediscovered the ivory-billed woodpecker in the swamps of Arkansas. And at the same time, another group of researchers from Georgia made a similar announcement that they'd rediscovered them in the Florida panhandle. And I knew those researchers, so I actually called them up after the announcement and said, hey, can I come join your search crew to try to get evidence for the existence of the ivory build? And they said, "Yeah, no, oh, sure, wow. come on down. So I went down and I spent two weeks in a swamp along the Tawachi <laughs> River Basin with wow. 10 other guys in, um, in a field camp, spending our days going around and kayaks and chest waders with cameras at the ready and putting out heat sensing cameras and audio recording gizmos and all the rest of it to try to document the existence for this bird i think personally after everything i've seen i don't think there are any ivory bills left (laughs) um, it was never known to be a particularly shy or secretive or difficult to find bird i mean it's this like huge frickin' woodpecker that's black and white and red and has a really loud vocalization. So um, I think probably they went through a habitat bottleneck around the 1960s when those cypress swamps were logged. And even though some of them have grown back now into what we would look at as great ivory build potential habitat, uh, I don't think there are any left.
1: Oh, that's too bad. Another great connection for me with Ivory Bill Woodpecker is because it has the same habitat as another legendary creature. It has <laughs> same hairdo. <here too. laughs> the the le- <laughs> yeah, the hey, that too. I could go red, <laughs> but the legend of Boggy Creek, right? So this was an infamous movie. They made a movie out of it, a Bigfoot sighting in Boggy Creek, Arkansas, and home of the Ivory Bill Woodpecker and Bigfoot. So. We'll move on from there though <laughs> i think they both might still be, be out there i don't think a lot of people know maybe they're really hanging much. out together I, I don't see why two cryptids maybe, hanging out
2: it's been eating the ivory build of that would be sad
1: <laughs> that'd be real sad <laughs> maybe the woodpeckers pecking on his you know enlarged cranium so <laughs> that's more likely but i don't think a lot of people are familiar with much with the passenger pigeon
0: yeah this is uh a pretty crazy story to me. At one time, the passenger pigeon was the most abundant bird on the planet. There were billions of them, and they ranged all around various parts of North America, and they were essentially overhunted, and then their population collapsed. I believe the last passenger pigeon, there's no dispute about this one, was uh, died in a zoo in 1914. So wow. it's it's incredible to me that the most you know abundant bird species out there could go from flocks of billions all the way to zero in a pretty short amount of time that's
2: terrifying
1: it really is it reminds you of like the bison and so many other you know stories of the bald eagle some of those other st- stories but the passenger pigeon of course did not make it out the other side so this next one noah actually is really close to my heart and cj's heart because we're both in north carolina and I only learned about the existence of this one recently on a trip to the museum with my children, the Carolina parakeet. It just blows my mind that there was once a parakeet living in the Carolinas.
0: Yeah, and I think its um, it doesn't have the name recognition of like the ivory-billed woodpecker or even the passenger pigeon. So most people don't even know that the Carolina parakeet ever even existed, which given that it was around recently enough that we have specimens like this picture is showing. um, I just think is, is quite poignant and sad. It goes to show how quickly you can lose something and then forget about it and not even know what you've lost.
1: Right. And back to conservation, I didn't realize, but apparently they went extinct primarily because of fashion, I guess. (sighs) Yeah.
0: There was the whole fad for feathers on women's hats to decorate them and and that really hit a lot of birds hard—not just parakeets, but uh, herons and egrets and water birds too. They would even mount like whole birds or wings on the top of hats because they thought that was super fashionable for a while.
1: Wow,
2: that's awful.
1: It it really is. But and again, how awesome would it be, you know, if we could have Carolina parakeets in our backyard? That would be amazing. But that would. it was not meant to be. Next up, the legendary. Yeah, <laughs> the,
0: the dodo was a real thing. It was this actual bird. It really looked like that. It lived on really? Mauritius like Island, it and uh, it it went extinct uh, a little farther back in time, maybe several hundred years ago, with the first sailors coming to Mauritius and finding these big, fat, tasty birds that couldn't fly and had no fear of predators. So they went fast <laughs> They the are fat. Friends. I guess it,
2: maybe I've never seen a picture of a dodo before. That is not the image i had in my head they're pretty crazy
0: looking evolved to be flightless because they lived on this oceanic island without any predators and so they were easy i mean they
2: almost look like a (laughs) they look like a turkey with a super weird face yeah
1: (laughs) yeah (laughs) <laughs> they they really do. They really look bizarre.
2: Like if a turkey dressed up for Halloween to be scary. If a
0: turkey <laughs> dressed up for Halloween to be scary. I'll, I'll remember that. That's a pretty good description of a dodo. Do, <laughs> do you think
1: that's one... <laughs> Halloween idea for, for this year. Do you think that's one reason why penguins did not befall the same fate? Because penguins just look cool and nobody wanted to eat them?
0: Well, I think penguins, um, they were discovered more recently in Antarctica. And so they've had a shorter period of history with people trying to eat them. And they didn't taste as good. As um. as far as I've heard, penguins taste pretty fishy because they mostly eat krill and fish. I heard there's a recipe you can mimic the sound of the, the taste of a penguin. If you take a, like a board and then boil it in diesel oil for a few hours with a chicken <laughs> breast next to it for flavor, <laughs> and then throw the chicken breast away and eat the board. That's kind of what a penguin tastes
2: like. <laughs> Appetizing.
1: I'll pass on that. So goodbye, <laughs> Dodo. But this one, you know, reminds me of the penguin, though, and I do not know what happened to the Great Aulk, but very penguin-like.
0: Yeah, this was kind of like the penguin of the North in the North Atlantic Ocean around... Um, Newfoundland up to Iceland and even in parts of Europe you had this bird that's not actually related to penguins but it's an example of convergent evolution where they fulfilled the same niche so they evolved very similar characteristics and they were flightless you can see their tiny little wings were not very good except for swimming and kind of like the dodo they didn't have predators around so they they were Big and fat, and super good eating for the first sailors that encountered them. And the great auk has unfortunately gone the way of the dodo as well.
1: Right. And Noah, I happened to be lucky enough to visit Oregon this summer. And one bird that I was looking for while I was there was the puffin, which apparently does visit some of the coast of Oregon part of the time. Matter of fact, I noticed some towns even had bragging rights up about hey, the, or, the puffin comes here now instead of San Francisco, for example. But this bird also looks like a puffin to me. Can can you tell us what's the difference exactly between a puffin and a penguin and an auk?
0: Well, a penguin is its own thing. That's a different order of birds that evolved millions of years ago somewhere by New Zealand. And they're only in the south, so there's never been penguins in the north. But we do have in the northern hemisphere a group of birds that are called the Alcids, and that family of birds includes the the great auk as well as puffins, so you are 100% correct, great auks are closely related to puffins, and you can sort of see the resemblance. They don't have the colorful beak, but they have a similar body shape and coloration and that huge bill for grabbing hold of fish underwater and eating them.
1: Right, and... Too bad we don't have the Great auk around anymore. Next up, we've got for you this one I'm fascinated by because this thing is huge. We, we're looking at a picture of a skeleton of a MOA, or I think the scientific name may be <laughs> yeah. And got it. a picture of the skeleton next to a human. And I mean, it must be 12 foot tall.
0: Yeah, it's hard to imagine being around a bird that big. Where, where does this photo on the right come from?
1: You know, this, I suspect, is a recreation. It shows some, like, tribal, tribesmen hunting one of them, and I suspect it may be some sort of recreation from a museum.
0: Yeah, because moas have not been around in the ages. <laughs> <I think>
1: so. <laughs> <laughs> it would be a great picture. But, yeah, these things, you have to imagine, they would have been kind of uh, easy to hunt down there. So this was the MOA, and it's too bad it's not around, but, man, they would have needed a lot of room to roam. And, okay, I think this is our last one for you, Noah. I had to ask, one of our most popular YouTube videos is the video of a purported pterodactyl.
2: <laughs> That's right.
1: Where we That we analyzed, and I believe that was in California. But, of course, there are lead, you know, legendary tales of a bird a giant bird called the thunderbird now you've been out there a lot and you mentioned the the harpy eagle for one are there any real life birds that you think you know could be responsible for being mistaken for the legendary thunderbird or even for a pterodactyl or could these two be out there somewhere
0: well i i've heard of thunderbirds but i don't know much about them can you just give me a snippet on what the legend of the thunderbird is
1: well, a lot of native native tribes have legend of the Thunderbird. They put them on totem poles and different things. And essentially, it was just a giant bird. So very much like the picture you see or the, the illustration of just think a, a mammoth bird, you know, like 30 foot wingspan, that sort of thing. And and apparently they could be seen coming in at night a lot, right? Maybe taking off small children, that sort of thing, <laughs> animals, so this, this, these are the legends and of course, people will go to the Amazon and look for the Thunderbird or some people, they think they used to exist in North America, maybe still do. And of course people, some people in Amazon say they still have pterodactyl sightings. Even There was even a pterodactyl sighting in Raleigh, North Carolina recently. <laughs> so yeah, the Thunderbird, you know, it's just basically a huge bird, I think is it's often seen like in silhouette i think is really what happens you know you mentioned the harpy eagle and it made me think of the thunderbird though because i feel like if you saw something like that in flight you know at a particular time of day at a distance like wow this is a gigantic bird moving through there
0: well i think it's appropriate that you put these two images next to each other because um at least scientifically speaking, as far as we know, birds are dinosaurs. They are the last lineage of dinosaurs that actually never died out and kept on evolving over the last 60 million years or so. And now they are what we call birds. There were dinosaurs that had feathers and some of them didn't make it and some of them did and became what we now see as birds. So when you're out there looking at birds, you are actually looking at dinosaurs flying around you. And I think that's that's pretty cool to think about as far as i know we don't have pterodactyls around in their uh format that we normally think of them (laughs) they've become something else these days
1: (laughs) you would tell us uh, if you've seen one right
0: i oh yes i would i would definitely not keep that a secret
1: (laughs) (laughs) all right so that's our review of some famous extinct birds and we really appreciate your hot takes on those noah
2: Once again, Noah, I am just amazed by your amount of knowledge. There was not anything we threw at you tonight that you just didn't have a plethora of information for, which is incredible. (laughs) I mean, also, I just don't think that you are old enough to have done all of the things that you've done and been all of the places that you've been to to say that you spent two weeks looking for that bird. like, where did you squeeze in two weeks to do that with all of the other things you've done? So... Clearly, there's a lot more to learn about you and the adventures that you have been on. And I'm so thankful that you shared some of them with us today. I do hope that everybody will check out your website. That's noahstricker.com, N-O-A-H-S-T-R-Y-C-K-E-R.com. Look for some of your books, and some of the other information about you. And you can also learn more about our show and support our show if you go to www.bigfootufo.com. And we sure threw some Bigfoot and UFO (laughs) questions at you today too, and you handled them like a champ. So a a true friend of the show. hope you'll come back and uh, share some new findings with us. And I also hope that now when you're out and about and you're looking for birds, you're also looking for aliens.
0: Yes, you have given me a whole (laughs) new perspective on... um things to be vigilant about while I'm out of these weird parts of the world looking at (laughs) birds.
1: (laughs) But hey, Noah is the perfect example of the person that can contribute to the field of knowledge in anything like the paranormal because he's out there collecting data, right? Like he's out there doing the fundamental part of science, which is observation. So Noah, we appreciate you. And you're out there doing work and putting in the hours and observing things around you and i think that that's a great thing
2: right that's what life is all about truly you're looking at the sky more than most people so if anybody's gonna see a ufo it's you
0: Uh, yes (laughs) it's probably (laughs) accurate actually (laughs) because
2: you probably look at the sky more than most humans ever will. all right tim anything else you wanted to cover before we sign out for the night
1: I'm Dr. Mounce. I'm joined by CJ Derringer. You know, it takes a lot to make a podcast happen. But like CJ said, you can help support us by going to BigfootUFO.com. Follow us. Subscribe wherever you're listening, wherever you're watching. Hit the like button. Please comment. Please share. It really helps us defeat evil algorithms of Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. Matter of fact, we had some glitches with Facebook tonight. So we're only on YouTube and Twitter tonight share subscribe like comment follow bigfootufo.com we appreciate all of you we appreciate noah stricker for joining us tonight from noahstricker.com check out his website you can find all his books there and all his other work his documentaries his media appearances amazing noah thank you so much
0: hey thanks for having me
2: on the show All right, everybody, thanks for tuning in. We are signing out. We hope that you will stay happy, stay strange, and listen to all things unexplained. Until next time.
1: Good night, everybody. Thanks. Like. Share. Follow. Comment. Subscribe. Support. What's your hot take on Travis Taylor? <laughs> <laughs> I've got an exclusive for you guys if you okay. wanted about
0: Alaska.
2: Yeah. We do.
1: Okay. Okay. All things unexplained. So some of that, I think, sir, will safe for closed session. Mm-hmm.